What's up, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondevold, and you're listening to Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we interview cool people doing cool stuff, trying to figure out what makes them tick, what keeps them motivated, what keeps them going, and being able to balance their life, their career, their family with the pursuit of their passions, their hobbies, uh, the whole nine in there. So this week we have the band Brothers Creeper. This is a really, really fun band. One of my uh, favorite local bands in the, the Southern Maryland area. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. Just just goofball punk rock, horror punk, uh, spooky punk, uh, I guess you could call it. Um, really, really great interview. Um, the drummer slash singer, uh, JR, um, we go through... The band itself, but also his paper that he wrote on hardcore and the history of hardcore, and then also his poetry, which was really great. Um, definitely check all that stuff out. I'll be able to put a whole bunch of links into the description of the show to make sure that you're able to check all that out. Um, Brothers Creeper just released a split EP with the other local Southern Maryland band, um, Moldire. Great EP, four songs, I think two from each. Um, really able to to put it all together, and it was, it was a really, really good um, EP. Um, JR also released his own solo project called Jimmy Dread. All of that, like I said, I'll go ahead and put that in the, the show notes. Um, all the links, Bandcamp, Spotify, all that good stuff is on there. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Thank you, everyone, so far that has listened, that has checked it out, that has given me feedback. I really appreciate it. Rate, review, all that good stuff on on iTunes. Let me know what you think. Let me know if there's anybody else that you'd like me to interview. Um, and then enjoy. Thanks. The, the first thing that I want to kind of bring up is where pretty much all three of you met and how that worked out. Because with Brothers Creeper, you've been doing... You have like four EPs out, maybe. I think three. It's the, we just did our third it's one. Three, yeah. Okay. So how did how did this band come a come to be? Okay, so the origin of the trio <laughs> is that we all met in high school when we were freshmen. freshmen. So we've known each other since we were fourteen. And Devin and I met freshman orientation. We've been best friends since then. Yep. And then we met Naomi shortly thereafter, and we were in jazz band all through high school. And then Devin and I were in a band together in high school called the Saturday Night Frights. Uh, so the horror punk thing goes back a while. And then the band split at the end of high school. And then we just kind of did our own thing for mm-hmm. like a number of years. And then in 2016, yep. I was finishing up my senior thesis on hardcore and straight edge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, spending a year listening to hardcore and reading zines and stuff, I was like, I got to start another band again. I got to start another punk band. And so I immediately hit up Devin and was like, let's just start something. Let's just start writing mm-hmm. some songs and let's just, you know, see what happens. Maybe we'll like cut some records in our garage or something. I really didn't think anything would come of it. And so we literally wrote like the first EP in like maybe two or three weeks. <laughs> Nice. And yeah. yeah, and then we cut it like with a friend who had a studio. And then that was Smut. That's the first EP. And um, we played a, a few shows that year. And we just had friends fill in on bass because, you know, mm-hmm. Devin just wrote all the parts. And it was like really cool. I really didn't think anything too big of it. I thought like, 
you know, we'll, we'll play some shows. We'll get some friends together because it, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun just fun. to get people together again because yeah. it just felt like everyone was kind of doing their own thing. and Definitely. Yeah. And so, um, and then Naomi, she joined the band spring mm. of last year. Yeah, I had, like, actually, I left the state for a couple of years. I moved out and then I came back and they asked me to play bass because I played bass briefly in jazz band in high school. Mm -hmm. Bass isn't even really my primary instrument, but they needed a bass player and they were like, you have a bass. And I was like, I think I can play it. So then I came along and yeah, that was March. I think of last year was our first show as a full band. And it was a house show down by St. Mary's college. It was so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. still remember it. Yeah. It was memorable because it was like the first time it felt like an actual band. You know, because before then it was like, got, you know, we had friends filling in and it was cool and it was fun. It was goofy. But like we had merch at the show and we, you know, we played a whole set of originals and it was just like, oh, this is a band. And here we are now. And, you know, we had another EP out and uh, we played a ton of shows and we're oh, we have a bunch of crazy big shows next week. We're opening for the Butter Tones next week. And it's a it's a it's an actual band which yeah. is insane because mm-hmm. I, honestly i really thought it would just be like a studio thing like right. i really didn't think that the um the tools and the people were really out there to make it really happen but what ended up happening is we just we made it happen is kind of mm-hmm. how it came about yeah, yeah. I, I keep telling everybody every time they introduce me to like a new thing we're doing i was like this band was not supposed to make it this far like, why are we here <laughs> Like, we're on freaking Ticket Fly with the Butter Tones, and I keep texting them. I'm like, we're not supposed to be making it this far. (laughs) This is not how it was supposed to go down. Yeah, you have legit tickets with your name on it. Yeah, it's insane. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because I'm really happy that you guys have made a full band out of it, because this is the most fun that I've had, like, watching a band play in a while. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So when I saw you guys live, I was like, this is fantastic, because... A, you're not taking yourself so so seriously. No, which no. Is, <laughs> I think that's the most important thing, and it really comes out in your music because you're just having fun with it, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm really glad that I got to see you guys play live rather than just listen to the recordings because the recordings really don't do you guys justice. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're out agree. there to have Thank fun you. and enjoy yourselves, and it's it's very refreshing when all I go to are like very serious shows and mm-hmm. like, this is what they do for a living. Like stop taking yourself so seriously, have a little bit of fun, cut loose a little bit yeah, and enjoy yourself. Yep. Stop trying to look cool. No one cares. Like we're out here <laughs> to have a fun time. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's interesting too, um, to, to kind of see how the, the scene has, has come mm-hmm. up, um, in St. Mary's. So you did Saturday night frights in, what year is that? That was tw- 2008, 2012. Okay. So I must have been doing shows down there at that time, but I don't remember booking your band. No. I wouldn't be surprised. We knew because you were, <laughs> you booked a lot of our friends' bands. Right. But, and we just snuck through the cracks somehow. Okay. Because I remember seeing each and maybe not Devin, but definitely. Oh, I didn't. I had different hair back then. Okay. Probably. You <laughs> might have seen an Ellen DeGeneres and someone who's looking to speak to the manager. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That would have been us. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember seeing obviously Naomi and, and JR at, at the shows. So, uh, I, yeah, I've never even like when I was reading your poetry and stuff like that, I was like, I, I don't remember this band and I feel terrible now. But you definitely have, like... I wouldn't. <laughs> well, I feel bad because I should, I should know, but... Um, that's funny. Uh, but yeah, you definitely have, like, the full 
experience of a St. Mary's because you have the, the feedback in there. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's, oh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. So that's toys. fun, um, which I'm amazed <laughs> that that is still a thing that is happening, that people are still... Like he's still doing stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. <laughs> oh, know. you figured out who I was talking about. Oh man. Yeah. That's... How uh, did you? I see still. It? I have. I have no idea. Uh, uh, Dan and I talked about that from my heart, my anchor. We, uh-huh. we talked about um, just growing up in that scene and and having that aspect in there. Uh, so that's that's fun. Um, so yeah. yeah. So when was your first show? First live experience as far as playing out? Then for the the Saturday Night Frights. It was a good Sam show. Yep. Um, okay. It was probably 2010. Yep. It was, uh, I believe, sometime in winter that year. Yeah. And um, we had just been hearing that, like, Good Sam was booking our friends' bands. Like, um, A False Tomorrow was playing there. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, Lawless, I think, mm-hmm. was playing yeah. there. Yep. And... We were like, oh my gosh, we can play a show that people are putting on. <laughs> and I remember calling, um, I remember calling Fred, and I was like really serious, and I was like, "Hi, F- Fred Heather, this is J.R. Ryan from Brothers Creeper. I mean, from uh, the Saturday Night Frights. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, we're a dedicated band. We're looking to play a show. I was like, oh man, this is this is the, this is the guy. This is the the big cheese of St. Mary's County. So and he was like, oh, yeah, I'll put you on. And we were like, oh, oh, thank, you, thank you so much, sir. Oh, thank you so much. This is such a big opportunity. And he was like, yeah, wow. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was like our first show. And it was like, my it was a set that was like, I was playing with a, a church band as the opening. And then the Saturday Night Frights were playing after mm-hmm. that. And it was supposed to be a battle of the bands. And then okay. the the rock band run the, the Satan won that night is what happened <laughs> yeah. and um, it was just crazy it was like our friends were there and we were playing original music because we had always been playing original music and it was just like since then we've just it's been, been chasing insane. that because yeah. in high school we always kind of kept to ourselves you right. know having like kind of like that nervous kind of feel to it and then as soon as we like played that first show it kind of like just unleash some kind of wild animal on us. And ever since then, we couldn't get enough. Yeah, bathed in cheap neon lights and feedback. And And tight, tight jeans. Swaddles you. Yeah, tight, hot topic pants. (laughs) I feel bad that you never got to play for me then because it's... I felt like it was a completely different experience. Like, going to my shows and then going to Fred's shows and then going... I think there was another girl that was doing shows... um, Cause I was doing them at Room with a Brew for a while. Oh then, wow! Yeah, I was doing them uh, at Good Sam for a while. I think I was. Fred might have been the first one there. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it was just a night and day difference. I think um, between the the quality of shows, like I was. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, mostly because I was trying to do a bunch of different stuff. Like I, I was bringing back bringing bands from like Baltimore and stuff. Oh and, sick! Yeah. Because I booked pianos. Uh, at Good Sam. Really? What? Yeah. Oh, oh I think gosh. I do remember hearing about that. I didn't oh, go to that one. Man, yeah, that's insane. Know that. I can't yeah, so that. I was I was trying. Um, it just nothing worked out. So man. that was that was fun. So that's when you first get the bug for at least playing music. Yeah. Uh, and and really getting it out there. And then so back into 2016, where does the concept for this band come to be? Is it just? You guys are dicking around. Horror is what you like, and then you don't take yourself seriously at all. This band is basically like the stepchild of the Saturday Night Frights. Okay. Except yeah. we became more experienced as musicians and actually knew what to do. And being yeah. 14-year-old high schoolers who just wanted to have fun. 
So Saturday Night Frights has a lot to do with Brother Screeper in ways because we wanted in high school to start a punk horror band because we grew up listening to the Misfits and like Oingo Boingo, at least from my side, and having all these crazy little antic kind of things in music you don't hear nowadays. And now we're actually being able to translate it into Brothers Creeper. And this is basically the band we wanted to create, but mm-hmm. we just didn't know how to do it. Right. I think there's also like, um, you know, having been away from like a punk band in a while and like having gone out of like the the trendy like metalcore mm-hmm. like boy band scene. And then, you know, I got really into the hardcore scene and, you know, see those bands and they're very passionate, but it's very serious. And, you know, I went from, like, serious but, like, cliche boy band metal to, like, passionate but just very serious hardcore. And I just remember being like, we need to do something else. Like, and so Brothers Creeper was just like, um, horror punk is just some kind of a a niche for Devin and I. Just like, that's sort of just, like, the vehicle that Mm -hmm. is, like, I think it's because punk rock is already, like, this, like, on the fringes, like social criticism but then like you pair it with like the twilight zone which is like this you know horror is like a criticism of society but it's not like it's done in a way that makes it kind of on the ether like you don't it's not totally part of society so like horror punk is just like way out there and you can really do whatever you want yeah there's no real limit of what you can do yeah like you, you can say you're punk but you can do like a swing song or you could do like you can really do anything because the <laughs> horror aspect of it, you can be as theatrical as possible. Yeah. You're not really hemmed in with like, oh, there has to be a breakdown. Oh, it has to be an eight beat rhythm. It has to be 250 mm-hmm. BPM. Like, Or it has to be the same drum yeah. sounds, the same yeah. snare, the same everything that yeah. your favorite band is doing. It has to be that. It has to be the three piece. It has to be just straight, you know, three progression chords, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Which is really cool about what we do. Because not every song's the same, and that's yeah. what I love, is because, for instance, Stain is just a straight up punk song for fifty eight seconds. Yeah. But then we have like songs like Crucifix or Upper and Black Lagoon or, you know, or, who? What is it? Theremin. Yeah. 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 Theremin. Uh-huh. And Theremin, you know, that have like a Ramon kind of essence or a like nineteen fifties diner kind of song. Yeah. Um, right. Because I grew up listening to fifties music too, so there's elements of that in all of our songs too. You won't find that in a horror punk kind of category because it's just so different you know it's just being different than the norm and that's what we really wanted to base everything off of Mm -hmm. which is really cool that's what i love about being in this band is i don't have a limit of what i can do yeah so if it sounds weird on the guitar it's probably gonna fit (laughs) (laughs) i like that where did uh so where did punk come in for you guys lives then we were straight out the womb <laughs> yeah like um my dad is a classic rock guy but he appreciates all music but when i when i was eight i started skating and i got tony Hawk's pro skater and uh, I, I wrote it i write about it in my poem um it's literally like probably the reason i am who i am um tony Hawk's pro skater is the bible of my life like it's just like the when i put it in in police truck by um, Dead Kennedys came on. I was shocked, and I hear like, I was like, what on earth? And then you hear like Goldfinger's uh, Superman, and I was like, I I had never heard ska before, and right. so I was like, this is amazing. And because uh, I really didn't start playing full drum sets, I was ten, and I remember my middle school band teacher like seeing me and was like, you should listen to ska, 
And I was like, I don't know what that is, but you know, I listened, I didn't know Goldfinger was ska, but skating and punk rock is like hand in hand. And so that's how I heard all the OG punk bands. And then in high school, well, when well, I was able to torrent music, I just got all of the stuff all kinds of that I could get. All kinds yeah. of viruses and all kinds of music. <laughs> and probably like had to empty my computer like 50 times, but I had, I had the misfits, I had the bad brains, I had like the dead Kennedys. I had uh, the Clash, I you know, I, and I just was like, punk has always been just like the most important thing. Like I've always loved punk rock. That's fun. Yep. And I mean, for me, I think, God, when I was like six or something like that, my aunt for my birthday bought me Dookie by Green Day. Bless. That's amazing. <laughs> and that was like one of the first. That should not like, be a six-year-old's album. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> I, like, when she gave it to me, I had, like, I had no idea what it was. And then when I listened well, to it... she's just looking at Dookie and me like, this is what well, six-year-olds like. Six-year-olds drawings on the front. I came from the same background as James. You know, my parents were heavy into, like, hair metal and, mm -hmm. you know, anything dating back from, like, 1950 onward. They wanted to make sure I was, like, trained to know these songs. Like, they mm -hmm. used to, like play the oldies radio station and quiz me to make sure I knew who they were. <laughs> so my aunt was like, oh, well, he's into that whole metal stuff. So let me give him <laughs> this little cool little CD. Explosions so, of metal. Yeah. So I listened to it and just like hearing Basket Case or Longview on that album, like that album changed how I yeah. saw music. Same. Really, yeah. it really did. And then I started seeing Blink-182 and... Um, you know, Misfits originally came around too, and all that time. It was just so overwhelming that I was like, This is awesome. I want to do the it. Stuff. Yeah. So that's really, I think Dookie is really where it took off for me because yeah. I had no idea what it was. And as soon as I listened to it, I was like hooked immediately. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's such a, a generational like story because you have a video game bringing that to your life, and then you have like the your parents bringing that into you. I remember, so my mom raised me on country. Okay. Bless. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm listening to Garth Brooks. I'm listening mm -hmm. to uh, Alan Jackson. Mm -hmm. um, all the the old uh, 90s like country artists. George Strait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, George, yeah. Oh, yeah. George Strait. Um, <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus when he was actually Oh, bless. I don't my keychain <laughs> on me. Um, and then my, my second stepdad was really into like 80s thrash metal oh nice. man oh, wow. so like uh -huh. flossum and jetsum and then uh -huh. like the first uh couple metallica records right uh and then anthrax and shit mm -hmm. <laughs> and i was like all right this sounds fun but i don't i don't care so i decided to go figure out what punk rock was mm -hmm. um and the the first so i started listening to that and then i had a couple of my friends that were all into it and they would always talk about, like, Rancid. They would always yeah. talk about No Effects and all that shit. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me pick up this Rancid album, and it's Rancid 2000, which is nothing like anything that they've ever done. No, I don't even know that record. Really? I'm, okay. I know without Out Came the Wolves, and that's, like, the record I know. By okay, now. so Rancid 2000 is their, like, harder, almost grind punk. Oh, man. It's fast. It's nothing like they've ever done. Um, it's such a weird one-off, but I absolutely loved it because it was just like fast, loud, and the everything was abrasive. Everything yeah. was the only thing that cut through was uh, Matt Freeman's bass. Yeah, and that was that was it. The all the guitars were just 
gnarly the entire way through but all the songs were maybe a minute and a half to two minutes long at most awesome and there was a couple 30 second ones in there <laughs> nice so nice. the whole record must it's have been 14. only like 15 16 minutes at least I think. that's awesome um but i just i i listened to that album and i was like this is i love this mm-hmm. whatever this is i love and then started going backwards and then i yeah. realized that rancid doesn't sound like any of this yeah and they have like <laughs> ska and punk rock oh, yeah yeah uh, that was that was really weird because you have um, Tim Armstrong, Tom Armstrong. I think Tim. it's Tim. Tim. Yeah, it's Tim. Just screaming, and then Matt um, Lars Fredrickson just screaming the entire time. Mm-hmm. So it was it was nuts. But yeah, I, I go in and I talk to all my other friends, and they're like, "Yeah, that album sucks." <laughs> this, is, this is not what you should be listening to. Like, you should be listening to Outcomes of Wolves. You should yeah. be listening to Let's Go. You should be listening to uh-huh. uh, all the other stuff. And then I finally listened to Black Lung, and I was like, this is everything all in yeah. one. So that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I went back to, like, the old stuff because I'm raised on, you know, the country and the, mm-hmm. and the metal and then, like, 60s music and mm-hmm. um, The Doors and all that shit. I love, I love The Doors so much. Doors are really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I'll, I'll tell you a story about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But I started to listen to the first wave punk. So 77, Buzzcocks. Go for uh, it. Yeah. The Damned, mm-hmm. you know, the, that style. And I never paid attention to, like, the Ramones. They were fine. But mm-hmm. I was always, like, very first wave and then built up from there. Right. So it was it was amazing to be able to kind of, like, rebel against what my parents were doing and kind of even what my friends were doing because my friends were listening to that 90s punk. Mm-hmm. And right. I was like, you guys are lame. I'm going to go listen to the first style. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure, yeah. So... Yeah, my first uh, so my first introduction to the Doors is uh, Jim Morrison auto uh, biography. Which one? Uh, no one gets out of here alive. I just read that one like maybe a month or so ago, like a few months ago. It's so amazing, good. insane, and it has some of his poetry in there, mm-hmm. uh, intertwined in there. But that was so my stepdad gave me that book, and he was like, "Here, you need to read this." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay." I'm 14, 15, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um. So shouldn't be reading it. Shouldn't be no. hearing about. <laughs> Uh, him seeing an Indian get or a Native American get shot in the yeah, face, murdered. yeah, yeah, which is insane. Still, um, just that whole story. Um, and then, so I'm reading this book, and I was like, I guess I should listen to their music. Oh my god! I I never listened to their music before that, and then wow. unreal. As soon as I heard him sing and play the the songs, I was like, this is my favorite band ever. So yeah. I'm just gonna have this like special connection to it for the rest of my life, which is fantastic. Aww. They're um I love them so much and they're a huge Brothers Creeper influence. Jim Morrison is like one of my favorite poets and then just as a performer, like and just the music they created, because they were like jazz musicians and then Jim is this like shaman and it's just like <laughs> I I just love the doors and like I I definitely model my singing a lot after him. I I love his style. I've got a almost not like in that way a story of being introduced to the Doors. I have a funny story of how I was introduced. So you know back on like VH1, they have like say it. What do they have like those playlist CDs of all like your old favorite classics and stuff like that? Yeah, VH1 classics. Yeah, Yeah. um, they were like trying to sell it on an infomercial of like top '80s hits or (laughs) '70s hits or something like that. And I heard right on the storm and uh i was like what is that like i was dying to know what it is so like i did a whole bunch of research on like that cd of trying to figure out what was i hearing at that moment and then i finally found it and just clung and cling to it 
for like the rest of my time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. That's how I was introduced by him. It was crazy. That's cool. All right, that's yeah. It's it's fun to kind of figure out like where where your your first kind of like introduction to things are because then you look back and you're like you have a starting point for the rest of your life on how yeah. everything is kind of branched out. And because I think for me, because of that ranted record, that 2003 yeah. or that 2001, because it was abrasive, because it was so like different from everything else, mm-hmm. I ventured off to like Fugazi. Like, oh, bless. I, I ventured off to like weird shit that no one else <laughs> was listening to. Yeah. And so like Blood Brothers and mm-hmm. um, just all the like crazy, like abrasive grindcore almost shit. oh yeah oh my like gosh like math rock nonsense yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then all my friends were still listening to like no effects and mm-hmm. bad religion and all all the other shit right so it, it was fun all the way through yeah so. uh i was kind of the same way with that um in regards to like listening to different stuff that people don't ever want to like touch right um yeah it all started like when I was in the tenth grade. Devin has some weird stuff. I so listen to tell you the eighties. He's king eighties. Yeah. So uh, when I was in the tenth grade, I had a friend named Jamie, and he gave me this like CD out of his pocket. Like I was like, what <laughs> is <even> pocket? Is <laughs> yeah. it the back pocket? It was his jean pocket. Oh, okay. Like, okay. On, on his CD. On his jean. Like it, there was no case. There was nothing. He was like, dude, listen to this. <laughs> and I was like, what is it? And it was like Oingo Boingo. And I was like kind of a name is that <laughs> and like it was their nothing to fear album nice. and i like plugged into my cd player and listened to the whole thing from front to back and like once again that whole my life just changed thing happened mm-hmm. i like got all their cds and all this other stuff and then from oingo boingo it like led to this band called mr bungle yeah and <laughs> then from there it just went to like pinkly smooth which is like a Avenged sevenfold product and i just was like eating all of it in because they had like just you know an orchestra of of music uh that they were using like different elements like synthesizers and all this yeah. other stuff and i was like i want to do that because you don't hear that anymore right mike like, patton's insane mike patton's probably one of my favorite singers of all time like the things he can do with his voice is ridiculous and i don't think anybody else can do it no he can't like from faith no more to mr bungle and like he did i don't know if you know this but i am legend he did all the the mutant sound effects when they're going through all of the town. You know, yeah. when they're like doing rampages and stuff like that. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's the one who did the voices for that. That's which terrifying. Was, what? Was ins- <laughs> that's why I love him. someone specific to do monster sounds? He's like, insane. Yeah, I Corey, love uh, that guy. Corey Taylor, he did um, one of the Doctor Who villains. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. The, the water so villain or something yeah, like that. that yeah. Fish. Fish Fisher God. King or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Netfish, Neptune, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't something know. Like that. But yeah, Mike Patton is insane. Uh, That's so if wild. I could model my voice after. Did you ever voice. listen to any of the stuff that he did with Dillinger Escape Plan? No, I didn't. I you I still s- haven't. I still haven't. I right. wanna, but I haven't. You have homework, sir. I I kind of figured. <laughs> yeah. Because when I saw those two mashup, I was like, I'm gonna have to come back to that. Yeah. And that haven't since so it's it's such a beautiful album because that's i mean that was one of my first uh, like i I listened to faith no more Mm -hmm. because my my stepdad at the time was peddling like all all that style of music and then all the the metal and shit like that so and then as i was growing into like whatever musical style that i i still don't know what i have um I, i was like mike Patton's part of this band 
and it was just crazy uh, all over the, the place, spastic nonsense, and very, very... It seemed like organized chaos. It, that's exactly that's, what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, and that's all I could do. And it was yeah. like, like four or five songs and it was perfect. Yeah, like quote unquote and uh, squeeze me macaroni and yeah. goodbye sober day. All those are like, who would even write something like that? Right. But it works so well. It's insane. And uh, I was really excited for the Fantomas record that, that he did, which is amazing too. So if you haven't listened to that, listen to I'm it. I'm going to have to work on it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's fun. Um so we're we'll go back to to your band and we're we're looking at so you have these three EPs. Mm-hmm. So all three of them are nonsensical for the most part, which oh, yeah. I absolutely love. <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely love. Uh, so what what do you think the the direction of your band is going forward? Is it gonna be still like? Are you gonna ever take yourself serious? No, <laughs> not too seriously. You, you, at least. Okay. Not too seriously. I would say we're going to keep it unexpected as possible. Yeah. Because uh, the new stuff we're writing, like we just wrote like a Doors esque song called okay. uh, "The Shallow Grave Shuffle," and it's like it really is like kind of like it's, a doo-woppy shuffle. It's absolutely the Doors. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. James was like, "Can you make like a Doorsy riff?" And I was like. Yeah, give me like ten minutes, and then <laughs> and then I came came into the garage the next day. I was like, "This is what I got," and then that's that's what it was. Yeah, that's like um, the plan is we're doing a split with Mall Dyer, and the that'll have two songs on it, and we'll record those probably in April, and then we plan on writing a full length over the summer, and hopefully put that out maybe in the fall or yeah, spring of next fall. year, and yeah, and though that's we're planning hopefully doing thirteen tracks. And three will be re uh, old songs. Three will be old songs. And the, the idea is just that, I mean, there's definitely a Brothers Creeper formula, but that formula is like, don't overthink it and just kind of do weird stuff. It's just mm-hmm. like, do something that just kind of sounds bizarre. Um, and and uh, we, we can pretty quickly determine when we write a song whether or not it's like... Yeah, it, whether we trash it or not. Uh, it's basically, but it's not to whatever will make us laugh the hardest. Is what we'll write. I like it. Because when we wrote Smut and writing the lyrics to Smut, I've never cried so hard in my life from laughing because yeah. <laughs> of just the lyrics we were putting down. Yeah. It was just one story after the other with that entire album, and it was just so funny. Yeah. That's that's what that's why I don't want to take ourselves too seriously is because if we lose that magic, then Brothers Creeper won't happen. Yeah. Because if we can't make ourselves laugh, there's no way we're going to make y'all laugh at right. all. <laughs> yeah. That's our main goal. Maybe you want to add something? Um, I mean, well, I think you guys are pretty good. You guys were on a roll. Oh, okay. Well, I just feel like you haven't said enough. So trying to make us <laughs> well, we're doing a, a lot on, like, Saturday Night Frights and stuff. But, I mean... Um, well, you were there in that era. I was that I was in the era. crowd, yeah. yeah. I mean, Brothers Creeper is, you know, besides playing in, like, like the jazz band back in school, mm-hmm. Brothers Creeper is the first band that I've been in to where I'm actually out playing shows. And it's just been, it's been so much fun. It's been quite an experience. And um, we rely, we definitely rely a lot on like audience participation at our shows. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. We love, 
just interacting with the crowd and making everybody laugh and making ourselves laugh if they're not laughing. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we really care but, about. Yeah, my the people like, laugh. Yeah. What I, you know, the classic thing is the musician arm cross. And my goal <laughs> is that my goal at every show is to not see a single one of those. Like my goal is to like point them out and be like, if you're not clapping, if you're not dancing, if you're not making like a fool of yourself. You're not you're not taking this show the right way, right? Because that tells me like you're analyzing this. Don't analyze this Please band. Don't. This is Brothers <laughs> Creeper. Like you should be like this is the band where you can goof off with your friends and like just have a good time. If you're like if you're trying to ingest it as much as possible, like oh I see they went to this chord. I'm like get at it. Like you, 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 you like can't. chill. You, you can't uh-huh. understand this. Is basically no the whole right. thing. Like just have don't. a good time. Like you so know. So I was. I was talking to one of my uh, employees because uh, I'm a, a manager at one of the, the Verizon stores. Rock. Cool. Um, so I was talking to one of my employees because I was playing. Uh, I don't know what I was playing. Um, something loud and aggressive. And they were just like, what is this nonsense? Why are you playing this so early? <laughs> and I was like, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying myself. Like, this yeah. is what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we, we've seen how those people are. <laughs> at those shows they're going crazy they're they're punching people in the face they're yeah. going head head uh nodding and all that stuff so i was like yeah there's so there's that but there's also like three different people in each of those shows one with the crossed arms yeah. <laughs> looking like a bodyguard yeah. or looking like yeah. he's someone's dad or something yeah and, uh the other one that is literally like punching people in the face and just mm-hmm. Enjoying themselves way too much, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other one that is just being a jerk the entire time. Like I always feel like there's there's that part of it that, you know, you have people just standing around doing nothing, but it's it's literally like those three are the ones that you see every single yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for sure, um, there are the tropes. So I'm definitely the the looking like the <laughs> security guard arms looking. Yeah. So I got told. Um, I got told at one of the the uh, cover band shows that I went to that I look like the bouncer. Uh, <laughs> I can see so that. That was fun. But I remember watching your show and watching your set and I was like, I guess I can uncross these and have fun. <laughs> so I, I appreciate Good. that sentiment and I'm glad that you guys actually go out and, and that's part of your forethought of it to, mm-hmm. to kind of get everybody moving and grooving a little bit and, you know, make them yeah. not so static and break free a little bit. That that was one of the whole uh, ideas of us doing like costumes and dress ups and stuff. It originally started with a Halloween show because it was Halloween. What else are you gonna do? But then it like expanded into doing it occasionally, and we're trying to do it more often. But that's what we want to do. We want to like bring you into the mindset that please don't don't overthink. Don't, yeah, right. Don't mm-hmm. think so hard we're not, about. So. We're not. Like we were playing a county festival and we literally just wore workout equipment my shorts were up to my crotch like <laughs> i don't want people to like oh they, they're taking themselves seriously no. i want people to laugh at what i'm wearing that's my mindset when i think of a costume we always try to have like coordinating outfits of some sort yeah. i mean the mm-hmm. last time we just all had the black turtlenecks on but yeah we had like the workout gear we'll dress like really 80s we have we have these alien costumes. We're definitely gonna break out of one of these shows. We, we the dress, aliens are coming out. Yeah, yes. we dressed up as the Lone Rangers from Oh yeah, 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 yeah from Which, and no one, no got, one got, it. got. But it was a house <laughs> show fair, of eighteen. Yeah, it was a bunch of like eighteen year olds. Yeah, that's such an underrated. We class. even <laughs> had the Lone Rangers on the kick drum, and like we had the full attire, and we even said like Adam Sandler. 
We we held up a radio station like Brendan I'm freaking Fraser. Brendan Fraser. And they're like, like no. We're like the Lone Rangers. <laughs> oh man, you know that that was heartbreaking, but it was a good time. You know. That's yeah, funny. we're definitely gonna start upping the game when it comes to costumes. Like I got a couple things in mind that people are gonna have no idea what i'm doing That's yeah exciting. like the, the thing is like brothers creeper is theatrical and it should feel kind of like larger than life but it should never feel like you can't be a part of it yeah right? mm-hmm. which is like the thing it should be like a circus that you are, are in the ring somehow like you don't know how you got in the ring but you're in the ring <laughs> and everything the elephants are running around and the clowns and like the motorcycle ball is loose and it's flying around and there's flames everywhere flames yeah <laughs> But you're still having a good time. You're having a good time. Your arms are not crossed. Yeah. Because you're fleeing for your life. (laughs) Excellent. All right. So we're going... I want to go back to that first house show that you guys played as Brothers Creeper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I went to the show and saw you guys at Five South, that -hmm. was the same people that I was booking 10 years ago. The bands that we were playing with? Yeah, the bands. Oh, really? Wow. Every band that was there... I booked 10 years ago. Holy oh my cow. Gosh. So wow. going, cool. going, yeah, going through that, it was a wow. big piece of nostalgia for me. Wow. Seeing Rob, Sam and Matt grown up. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was literally booking them when they were 16. Wow. Um, That's insane. And then, so Brandon and uh, DJ yeah. uh, from Moldire. Moldire, mm-hmm. I was booking joy radio with Brandon and, uh, Daniel, when they first came out. Wow. Um, and then who else was there? So the metal band, Dakota's Clear, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the guitarist, <laughs> I, I know, and I, I've seen, because I, I booked them at the Lesby Community Center, and I, mm-hmm. throughout the years, I've, I've been around the Tri-County area, and I would always right. see him run into him. The singer, I could not place for the life of me, and I'm watching him, and I'm looking at his face, and I was like, I know you. I know you. And I was like, I finally got it that, oh yeah, Pistol Creek, because the oh, yeah? guitarist and the uh, the singer used to play in a band that I booked forever ago. That's that crazy. So funny. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting for me to see that and it's a dual edged sword, right? So I'm seeing everybody that grew up and then mm-hmm. I'm also seeing absolute stagnancy in the scene down there because there's no new bands, there's no nothing mm-hmm. for yeah. So for me, yep. you guys are a new band for me. Okay, yeah. yeah. So for for that house show that you guys played, how do you get to being able to actually play out in your hometown? Mm-hmm. And then are you guys playing out in Baltimore, D.C.? How, how is that working out for you guys now? So, so oh, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you well, um, so originally before I joined and it was just these two and they had like our friends George and Ridge mm-hmm. would fill in on bass for them. They played these two shows that were like in a room at his a James old church. And so they were able to kind of just put that on themselves. The house show, it was at somebody's house down by his school. So we knew somebody that owned the house there. And that's mm-hmm. how we were able to get that show. And I mean, after that show, we kind of actually had like a couple month hiatus. Just because mm-hmm. things are kind of crazy in all of our lives. And then we came back with another house show. So it's so far with all these shows we've been getting, it's people that we know. And it's like, they have a house, they have a house, or this, this, this. And then we got asked to play Five South. In Callaway, which is the well, not the show you went to. We played there once before because mm-hmm. another band couldn't make it, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to take our spot?" And we're like, "Sure." And I think I'm pretty sure that was the first show we played that wasn't a house show, wasn't it? Um, at Five South, yeah. besides the festival, besides Bottom yeah, County, yeah, really, that was like the first non-house <clears throat> show. Yeah, so that's probably our maybe fifth or sixth show. Yeah, something like that. It was been mostly house shows. Then we had that, 
And uh, we had a skate house show, just so yeah, cool. Was, people down in the park have like a mini ramp in their basement. And we played that show. It was just insane. That was literally my boyhood. That was boy like dream. a dream yeah, to play that. Really Playing play people skating. In front of a skate Someone's ramp. skateboard skate got launched right by my yeah, head. Like, <laughs> that's insane. a dream. It's like, it was like watching Viva La Bam, but like I was living it. That's all I yeah. wanted. And <laughs> now, it's not we, okay. <laughs> the next couple shows we have, um, we mentioned earlier, we are playing with the Buttertones next Wednesday, March 28th at the Black Cat in D.C. And that show, I, we've I, been I screaming still, about I'm it. I'm still like, shocked. I'm internally screaming right now, trying not to blow out the microphone, but <laughs> it's just a dream come true. The Buttertones are a band we discovered last year. Around and this time. Around this time, actually. And they're like, I don't even know how you would describe them. It's like, like I mean, you have a saxophone rock, player, rock. surf rock. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just so cool. Never heard anything like them. And we were going to go to the show anyway. And they were actually opening for a band. But the headliner dropped. Oh, and okay. we already had tickets, though. And James and I were talking over dinner one night. And I was like, well, the headliner dropped. And he was like, why don't we see if we can open for them? And I was like, what? And uh, we sent them an email with all of like our, our band camp, a YouTube video of us playing, all this stuff. We didn't hear anything. And the next day we called the venue and we're like, you know, there's somebody from booking. We want to see if you guys need an opener for the Buttertone show. And the chick was like, yeah, we do. And then lo and behold, you know, she talked to the agent of the Buttertones and now we're opening for them. That's amazing. Which is just insane. insane. Just yeah. opportunity of a lifetime because we just yeah. love them. It's crazy. I cannot wait. And then that's then next Saturday, we're playing at, at Sidebar in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. We're playing with our friends Changing Scene. And we're opening for a band called Children's Books from pennsylvania so those are our two first out of yeah. area shows mm-hmm. and okay. then after that we have another show at five south and then i mean we have several other house shows also lined up we have shows mm-hmm. lined up to like july probably yeah and the goal is probably to start getting out of the county yeah that's what um, we're thinking. because my goal initially was like let's keep playing around here because i think i'm starting to see kind of people start to kind of mm-hmm. form back together because I feel like everyone was kind of... What has happened with Brothers Creeper that's kind of insane is that we were playing house shows with different groups of people. Like, we played with, like, a bunch of 18-year-olds who had bands. Mm-hmm. And then we played with a bunch of kind of, like, 30-year-old guys, like, like Maldire guys and, uh, um, you know, like, Deadbeat Holiday guys. And then we were playing with our friends because we've just been putting on our own shows and then we were just able to kind of corral all of them together. And I've seen five South shows are getting like pretty big. And I just feel like it's and finally it's, people are coming together. Yeah. And it's a nice eclectic mix. Because I mean, the last show we played, yeah. we had some of our friends that are like the 18 year olds that came out and saw us. And then we had our friends that are in their 30s that came out and saw us. So I love that we can just reach these different audiences. And I, I love how you mentioned, you know, it's been kind of the same scene for the last yeah. 10 years or so. Because yeah. I mean, Travers, who books at Five South, he made a comment about how like when he plays with his band, people still request songs they played like 10 years ago. Yeah. And just me being new into this scene, I just find this local scene to be so just accepting. And yeah. like, it really does feel like a family to me. Like all the bands we've met and played with, I love all the guys so much. They're yeah. all so sweet and supportive. Yeah. And they're just all fun to hang around with. So I'm, I'm really enjoying yeah. the local scene a lot. And yeah. personally, I attribute a good amount of our success to Moldire. Yeah. Um, because we played a house show um, for at Chris's house, who plays in a year too late. And we met Moldire through there because mm-hmm. DJ, the, the singer, mm-hmm. came up to us and like was freaking out after we played our 15 or however minute set. <laughs> yeah. And then like from there, it was like just like a marriage almost. Like it just shot into the stars and haven't looked back since and 
I mean, everybody in that band, especially, I mean, we, we love them to death. Yeah. Like, they've, they've opened us up to a whole bunch of new stuff that's kind of helped us progress in our careers, too. What's, like, crazy is, like, in high school, I think, you know, just, like, being a kid, there was sort of a, com- a competitive element, and also just, like, kind of the boy band metalcore scene was, like, who could sound more produced? And, yeah. like, yep. and eventually people stopped using actual drums, and they used, like, programmed drums because they wanted to sound like they were on Rise Records. And, you know, I... I was shocked that he, anyone he would it. do that. Yeah. He gets it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was just shocked because I was like, I feel like you're you're really kind of selling yourself out because you don't want to put out like a demo. But then back then it was like, no, the demo quality is, you know, you got like you need the good stuff. And um, everyone was kind of competitive. But nowadays it's like, no, people are cutting records in their bedrooms and people are making their own merch and you know people have their own studios like this and it's awesome and um it just feels like people are more about having a community like no one's like trying to get on a label no one's like people are making their own labels people are putting out their own tapes people are putting the stuff out on Bandcamp. it's like a really good time to be in a band i think it's come full circle because that's that's a lot of that stuff was happening when i was doing shows heavily yeah uh and i could see it uh-huh and i can i can really see you know people trying to be a community rather than you know dicking everybody over trying yeah. to get a leg up on each other <clears throat> or whatever so that's for me this is a really cool experience to see basically a community that i thought was pretty much dead really come back mm-hmm. and come back with people that are able to support Mm-hmm. Rather than the kids that are just trying to beg their parents to, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's go. nice being older, right? So, and it's it's a more mature atmosphere. Um, we saw it with the, I think I saw it with the response um, that DJ had to his, his post about the the shooting, yeah, and yeah. kind of bringing the community together with that. Mm-hmm. Um, where there's, it's bigger than what people think, which is very very cool for me to see that. Because I didn't feel like that when when I was doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing this and seeing it grow into to what it is, even though it might be still the same 20, 30, maybe 40 people mm-hmm. doing it, yeah. it, it feels like a bigger cohesive unit now. It's yeah, it stronger. does. It's very, very it feels alive. Good. And yeah. that's that's been really cool, just even at that local show and then, um, you know, what Travers is doing. So that's... For me, this is a really cool um, experience all the way through. So I'm glad that you guys are a part of this. Thank you, yeah, and I appreciate you, your perspective. Yeah. It's like so wild, you know, that you you have such a larger perspective on it. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we have our little window of high school to now, but I mean, you've seen like before and now, and it's like crazy because I didn't know how I you know all those bands that we played with. I figured they kind of came out of the the swamps too, but I didn't know how long <laughs> they've been dwelling there. You know, like, yeah, right, all, yeah, so. Yeah, um, I mean, I only, so you, you look at, like, Brandon and DJ, they've been playing forever, and it's 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 just really cool to, to see that and the fact that they've kind of taken you guys under their wings, and it's hopefully, oh, yeah. you know, you're, it sounds like you're able to, to really fly free and get everything that you want done, which is very cool. Do you guys plan on really continuing to play out as much as possible and oh, yeah. are you Absolutely. able to really 
coordinate that with your lives and jobs that you have now? So, so right far. now we're kind of right now what works best is we kind of shoot for around one show a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we do have next Wednesday we have the Buttertones. That Saturday we have Baltimore, and then the next week we have another one. But we're trying for around one a month because we are really busy. I mean, James is in his master's program, mm-hmm. uh, about to become a teacher. Frank works full time. Yep. I have two jobs right now. We're so we're really busy outside of the band, but we always make time to write and to have practice. And... Oh yeah, there's a there's a great tenacity behind Brothers Creeper. I think it's all just kind of like a weird niche for us. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I'm writing lyrics in between like teaching kids like multiplication, and it's just mm-hmm. like. Um, all of the work is done in-house. Like we do all the graphics, we do all mm-hmm. the social media, we do, uh, we've been doing the records ourselves and, um, it's just been like, we've been able to kind of churn stuff out because it's all us. It's at our pace. And, uh, you know, once I finish my degree in May, we plan on doing like a lot of shows over the summer and then me having a teaching job, it's just, it's really the most ideal job for being a musician. Cause you get like breaks you have weekends and evenings Mm -hmm. and of course you know you're a lot of that you're spending working on teaching but it it's if you're passionate about both things you make it work and i've been able to do my master's program and uh, put out a record and a book Mm -hmm. and when you're if you're passionate about it you you can make it happen you don't sleep a lot but you can like (laughs) you can get the stuff done and so and brothers creeper to me i can only see just going up from here yeah and i i love this band like i truly do i love this band and i love these two people so much uh this is my fiance and my best man and (laughs) it's just like and this band is just like a vehicle for us that's it's been a creative outlet that's as much as soul um edifying as it is just like a good creative thing to do and people like it, and that's kind of what shocks me. And that's been the best thing. Because I honestly thought, like, we'll put it on Bandcamp. We'll have, like, our three friends listen to it. And mm-hmm. where it's at now that people have our shirts with our names on it, and um, they're okay with that. <laughs> that they that was consensual. They give us, they give us we didn't money. We force and... them into it. It's weird. Right. Right? And that we're here, and you're asking us questions about this is, like, all right, like thank you. Like so wild. that that kind of release from the the normal everyday hubbub that you guys have. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what really drives you to keep this project going and really have fun with it? Uh I believe so. Um because I've done other musical projects in the past and each time I've done one, it's just been the most stressful thing in my life because of just butting heads with people and people with egos and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. But when you enter a band with you know two of your best friends it's just so much fun i've never had this much fun playing music in my life and that's one of the reasons i want to keep it going because i don't want the fun to stop and writing music and writing lyrics and making albums it's just a fun experience and a fun time because if i'm not doing that with my band i'm just hanging out with my best friends and Mm -hmm. it's that plus i mean it's just it's just a ton of fun and it's different, you know, and that's what that's at least for me what my tenacity is of just keeping it going. That's but it's great. definitely a huge stress relief from yeah. my my job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I've been in um I'll say something really quick, Naomi. But I've been you know in in band, in band since high school, but they've been like very serious and they've been more like more mainstream, more commercial acts, and that's been mm-hmm. fine, like more jazz stuff or more contemporary. And it's been cool. It's been very serious. And the thing about Brothers Creeper is like, 
like I do the graphics and I, I write the lyrics and, uh, you know, I put together the lyric videos and, um, I get the, their veto powers over everything. <laughs> and, um, I've, I just, I've needed a creative outlet that lets me just do whatever I want all the time. Cause the other acts I've been in have been like, I have to kind of like wait to finish something. I have to or hold off on doing the social stick media. Stick to a straight path. Yeah, stick to something. Yeah. Which is the cool yeah. thing. Like I, if I bring anything to James guitar wise, where I think it's kind of like out of the norm, he like just embraces it and then we make it into something. Yeah. I don't have a wall where I hit where it's like, well, that's as far as I can go. It's right. like, if I want to make a jazz song, that's kind of Halloween, but kind of like super punk. It's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. there's not one path where we have to take. It's like, all right, so this is what works. This is what we stick with when we yeah. have so many different avenues yeah. of what right. we can there's do. There's no rules, man. That's no what I rules. love. Yeah. Yeah, I've never like, been in an environment yeah. like that before, and I just go freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I love like, it. Like, we can make a record. We can make a comic book. We can make shirts. We can make posters. We It's like we can just make stuff, and it's just like a cool feeling to be able to just like this just really doesn't feel like there's really any limit of what we can do and like the, the support we can get. Like we had a guy from Kuwait, Croatia review our record and I was like, I don't even know where that is. Um, we, uh, we I just... guess it's real. Like we, yeah, I did was, Google it. It was, it was real. a lot of, a lot of issues recently. Yeah. We, so. uh, we just realized That's the funny. Philippines aren't below Florida. Like no, <laughs> the, sure. the Philippines is not in Latin America. We were, no. we were blown away. I was born there. No. They're, they're... Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We, we did not know. We're learning geography. Right. I, I reference in my poem Slam Shack, I reference a, a guy as a Latino and he's actually Filipino. And he told me oh, it's wow. not the it's same thing the same, buddy no. and i was like uh, message to all straight white males uh the philippines is not in latin america <laughs> oh, you want to add something on me oh i was just gonna go on i mean you know no two songs of ours sound the same and i mean we've written songs and we bring them all together like for hot topic we wrote that coming back from a road trip and yeah. we intended it to sound incredibly different than how it actually sounds and newly dead is another one james wrote it and it's totally different than what we were what they were originally going for yeah but i mean that's kind of the beauty in it is that you bring this one thing to the table and it transforms into something insane i will say um the writing process is kind (laughs) of similar to the doors in fact that because um i'm pretty i write the majority of the lyrics Mm -hmm. and then i collaborate with devin and naomi and um I, I'm the drummer, so and, and and I have some theory and I have some melody, but you know I can't say Devin. It's a this chord. It's a right. this progression. Right. So I have a melody and I have songs. When I write, I've been writing songs since I was 14, and I've always, if I look at my paper, I I know how it goes because I write the drum mm-hmm. tracks and you know being like a song drummer, mm-hmm. I'll like no, this is like eight bars here, it's a 16 bars thing, it's this BPM, and so. I have to take it to Devin and I'll be like, the riff is kind of like this and it'll either be Devin nails it verbatim or he does something else and we go with it and it's it's like better than what I mm-hmm. had envisioned. Yep. And then Naomi kind of has this overarching vision of like how that will actually be orchestrated, how that will actually work, if it will work. So <laughs> it's kind of like a backwards songwriting process yeah, and it it's is. like rhythm <clears throat> and lyrics. Um, it's like, well, Brothers Creeper is really an idea the songs are ideas they're stories so they are written that way you know it's not like um like the hooks are the lyrics really i mean um and that's so it's kind of it's 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 an interesting process because you know sometimes we might be writing the song might not really be coming together um 
And that's usually a song where we like, this is too much work, let's shelve it. When, when Brothers Creeper songs start to be like, strenuous is when you go, this is not a Brothers Creeper yeah, song. Like, we need to take if a this, break if on this that isn't one. more than three chords, we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, cool. So I want to transition a little bit to um, JR's book. Because um, you just released this... February. February. Mm-hmm. So this is a book of poems. Um, how many poems are in there? Do you know? 25. 25 poems. Perfect. Where does this project really start for you? Does it start in high school, college? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've probably been writing poetry since maybe like middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really until probably college that... Um, because I, my thing with always making art is like a desire to share it. And when I feel I don't really have a medium to kind of get it out to people, I don't, I'm not as passionate about making it. Like, I'm not the kind of guy who would make art, hide it in a warehouse and then die and you'd find it like 50 years later. Like, it's out there, maybe it's obscure, but it's out there so that when I'm dead, it's it's out there. Mm-hmm. And um, so it wasn't until probably when I was like 20 uh, or 19 that someone told me like, oh, there's a website called Hello Poetry where you can upload your poems and share them. And, you know, I, at, up to that point, I had done a few, like, uh, spoken word things and I had, um, you know, written poems, but it wasn't until I found, like, a medium that I could put it out and share it that, because I, I, feedback is kind of, like, a really big thing for me. So when I, when I was finally getting feedback and the people mm-hmm. were liking it and I was able to kind of see how people would react to it and how I might change it, that's when it got really, uh, kind of really started moving. And then last year... You know, but it was really probably Brothers Creeper that got me thinking, like, I can make my own book. Like, because okay. we made our own records and we we're making our own merch. And then I was like, I can make a book. Like, I can do that. Like, DIY is like, you can make your own book. Because, like, my dreams are in high school to do all these things. And then you find out through DIY, like, you can just do it. Mm-hmm. And if you're passionate about it, your people will be passionate about it. And so I, I released a book last August. And it was real, I mean, those poems are like out there and I'm stoked on them, but um, it was more like a test run. Like I was like, oh, like I can do this. And um, I reading the poems, because I started doing like readings. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading them, I was like, oh, these are like not very good read. Like, <laughs> like, at, like personally, if you're like, if you're like reading them by yourself in a nook somewhere, like it's fine. But as I read them, I was like, oh, man, it's like 50 syllables per word. I like I was all thesaurus for this one. Like, right. Because if you look at the, the actual book, the book's great quality. I like holding it. It feels good. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at how the words are formatted on the page, mm-hmm. it's it's very easy to see kind of your mindset for some of that stuff because you're you're using different structures. You're using right different um beats in the writing mm-hmm. but i don't know if that actually translates to actually speaking that because i don't i looking at that stuff looking at the like memento where you have like, right, the yeah. two columns or <laughs> the the gg allen one where it's right. literally like <laughs> all the words that I, were ever written are right in there and then you have um there was another one that i, I don't remember but it had the um the slashes in there but it was i mean that was uh we got young yeah yeah, yeah okay mm-hmm. So you, you look at this and it's formatted in a special way that is unique to just poetry. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I forgot because when I was in high school, I was writing poetry and mm-hmm. 
Oh, awesome. And being in like the literary, literary club or whatever, like the magazine. Mm -hmm. uh, And then, so I remember like reading your book, that brought me back to what I was doing years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I couldn't remember, I'll have to look at, try and find the website that I was posting stuff on. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause it was word something, and I don't remember word spring maybe. Okay. I don't. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I don't imagine those poems really translating all that well to spoken word. So it's been like my that goal for the second book was like it should be as dynamic on the page as it is read. So like my first book is just very like I was really like um. Jim Morrison was such a big poet for me, and like I was like, oh, he's so out there. You just write about whatever. The metaphor is totally unknown to anyone but him, if him. And um, I want to write like that. So like the first book is just like these very large, crazy, archaic things. And uh, as I read them, I was like, you know, people aren't really gonna get it. And you have to, like, kind of. I realized you have to create like a syllable sandwich, like. Mm-hmm. spoke like a good like spoken thing then put in sort of like a sort of thick thing that's kind of like you know because i like learning new words i'm a big word guy so you know something that's kind of really large that then you can maybe explain more in like a jargon sort of sense so um and i've been trying to i've i've been touring the book a little bit i've done a few cafe gigs and some open mics uh, with my friend george adamson who just put out a record which is amazing phenomenal i it's really really so good like it it's it's like summertime music yeah it's so like so sad shit mm-hmm. it's which so is good. fantastic it's it so good shot. and so we've been doing shows together we've been doing open mics we've been putting on our own shows and my goal has been like let's make sure i can read these as well as they are on the page and it's been an interesting challenge and like I think every reading i've been like oh i can read it like this like um slam shack is read with two voices because mm-hmm. one's in italics and that's like mm-hmm. that's the cashier and if you've ever seen grind like the guy from chili and such it's sort of like welcome <laughs> to chili and such it's like kind of that voice it's like welcome to slam shack home of the nosh and mosh and like i think that like, was one of my favorite ones that, that you did uh, that's my slam shack just like reading that you know how like if you're ever part of the the music or punk scene yep. yeah. at all you know everything that you're hitting on there yeah, oh, and yeah. It, it's Absolutely. wonderful yeah, that's my um, favorite one, too. Yeah, thank yeah. you. So, and a lot of... So, your book is, is really a big homage to punk itself. It is, yeah. Um, you have your your starting point from what I was reading was that Dookie record. And yes. Then, oh, yes. And Tony Hawk. Yep. So much fun for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, there's such a big generational shift on how people discover music. Yeah. And you have it through video games. You have it through... Uh, just being exposed on TV, mm-hmm. but also like not having TRL anymore. And yeah, yeah. yeah. it's Rip. so, it's so weird. So that's, that's fun. That's a, that's a great story. I like that. Um, so yeah, so this is an homage to, to punk rock and all its forms. Right. Uh, you have your straight edge in there a little bit. You have your mm-hmm. hardcore in there. Yeah. Um, so when you were thinking about this book, was that during your dissertation period too? Or how did, so, um, I pro- I started writing the book last November. Okay. Um, and so this was after I had published my thesis, and um, yeah, I'm still doing the research, um, hopefully for a book, and it's currently submitted for publication in a journal. So it's work that I'm still continuing, and um, you know, I had so much that I had learned, and I was like, 
um, I wanted to write poems that, you know, could continue the conversation. So a lot of them are kind of historical narratives that are mm-hmm. really just my thesis, but put in poetic form. Like punks are my poets is the, um, is the etymology of the word punk. So like in the 1600s, it was referred to as a prostitute by Shakespeare. The fir- him, Shakespeare was the first punk. Like, I mean, <laughs> and then like, it became like Tinder. It was like, it was like not the app, but like the, um, <laughs> it the was actual kindling. Yeah, it was actually yeah. kindling. And I was like, oh, that's great. That punk was originally something you would use to make fire, which is cool. And then it became, um, and then like 1900s, it became like, if you basically, it was like, if you were in jail and you were like prison Mike's like, uh, like crank buddy, like bottom, you were the, you were the bottom, you were a punk. And it's like, that was, it was like a homosexual term in prison. And here it is now, and it's like all these things in one, like this, you know, degenerate. And uh, it's it was something I really didn't get to explore in my thesis. Mm-hmm. And uh, to explore in a poem, it was just a lot of fun. Like, I talk about how I met Ian Mackay, and I talk about Ian Mackay, who I just <laughs> is a huge hero of mine. And so it's it's part my observations coming through the scene, and then it's part my, um, my thesis is kind of yeah. how it came together. And that's that's what it really comes out as is that you've it's cool to see that you've taken it taken punk rock in an objective form and more of a a research based form mm-hmm. and it does come out in your art a little bit with obviously your music but the the poetry itself really is a, a thinking poetry I think mm-hmm. because you have all your nostalgia in there you have you know, your descriptions of these house shows, you have these descriptions of jubilation of actually mm-hmm. feeling what that kind of music does to you. But you also have that kind of aesthetic of this is what it, this is the history of it. This is how we're looking at it. This is how people are looked at that are this. Yeah. So, and it's, it's really inclusive, I think. And it does a really good job overall. Um, so I was, I was really happy reading it because it covered literally like all aspects of the genre almost. Yeah. I appreciate that. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, and it was something definitely done consciously because I'm just like a big thinker. And I feel like I've always kind of been like a, a historian since I was a kid. Because when I first saw punk, I remember like feeling that like viscerally, of course, like, oh, man, this just makes me want to be this. It makes me want to write this. But I remember also as a kid, like, I want to just know everything about this. I want to know all the bands. I want to know how they make their records. I want to know what scene was it like? Like, where were they living that they could make this? Were this like impoverished? Were they more like middle class, but they were just still pissed off at the society? And so I've always kind of liked punk rock, historically speaking. And um, being in the scene, it's like part of it is like, like I got a, I got a leg in the classroom and I got a leg in the, the pit is kind of how I feel. <laughs> like, I just, I love writing about being in it. And I just, I like writing about kind of, the overall, like, what's going on if I took a step back? Um, it's just a really magical thing from both perspectives. That was my approach to, as soon as I heard what punk was, and as soon as I heard what, what the style of music is, I just went, basically, for lack of a better term, balls deep. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. And went all the way back, right? Yeah, awesome, yeah. So, I remember growing up, we had AIM, we had Yahoo, yeah. uh, we had uh, like chat rooms and we had yeah. forums, we had mm-hmm. all this stuff. So I'm going in and I'm researching what band influenced this band, what influenced this band, yes. finding the source, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm doing and I'm going in and I'm talking to everybody, um, you know, trying to fit into this community and it was really cool 
because when you go into like my generation where you have the first really like kinlands of the of the internet yeah, yeah. you have really that community that online community that first forms mm-hmm. it's not just the pockets of counterculture that are around the country yeah, yeah. at this point which is really cool uh i remember going to a uh, mission of burma show oh, and i'm 16 at this show and everybody else is double my age at yeah. least <laughs> <laughs> i believe it so what really stuck with me for that was the fact that it was an all ages show and i could go and that was that yeah. was amazing to me yeah. so mm-hmm. that right there like sealed it to where all I'm doing for the rest of my life are all ages shows. If I ever mm-hmm. do this, this is what it should be. Amen. And Absolutely. then the yes. biggest, the biggest impact that I had on me was this old guy. I remember just overhearing and he's talking about some old British bands and him arguing with this little pissant on the, on the internet. About <laughs> one band started here and they were like, nah. So I remember agreeing, like I was nodding my head, agreeing with this old guy. And he was like, that guy gets it. That kid gets it. And then we talked the entire rest of the show. That's awesome. Which is amazing because the Mission of Burma started in like 78. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a band that like was older, like old before I even got like of age. (laughs) Uh So it was it was just crazy to me. Um, But that's that's really like that that passion that you have to to go find Mm-hmm. really like your love which is comes out in the in the poetry comes out in the music um is a really big thing that i hope everybody gets to connect to and and be a part of and yeah. i don't think enough people get that part i i appreciate that chris the the i've always wanted art that was a connection like mm-hmm. um my poems i you know i write them hoping that there is something that is relatable and Brothers Creeper is as inclusive as if, you know, the idea is like it's theatrical, but you're part of the circus. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I appreciate art for art's sake and people who make things that you're just like, you're on another level. I, I mean, it's awesome. But punk rock and realizing that you can do it yourself and people are there to like support you because you're in it for the right reasons. Um, that's what it's all about. So. Yep. I do want to touch a little bit on your um, thesis before we wrap up. Yeah. So, oh, and so we talked about Black Cat earlier. You guys playing at Black Cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about this before we go in, <coughs> into something serious. Okay. So uh, I saw Cursive with open... Go for it. Yeah, go yeah, for yeah. it, Chris. Right. I'm so ready. So I saw Cursive at Black Cat and Beach Slang opened for them. Uh-huh. I know that you are the biggest Beach Sling fan that I I've am. ever come yes, across. Yes, he is. Uh, yes, I am. So talk to me. I want. I want to know why first of all, um, and then is it, is it just something that clicked with you? What What happened? I am more than willing to tell you this. Okay. okay. I I love Beach Sling so much. They are my favorite band. I will proselytize them till I die. <laughs> I. They are just uh, James, Alex, and Charlie Lowe, and. The people in that crew are just very special people to me. And the music and the community that it, it uh, invites is just, it's been, it's a magical thing. Uh, I'll just say um, it was 2014 and uh, it was like a Fuse article that was like the top 10 pop punk songs of September. Mm-hmm. And at, in 20, it was 2014, I think. And at that time, I was kind of on my way out of, like, the pop punk of that era. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, Story So Far is, like, kind of on its way out. Um, Turnover hadn't put out a record in a while. And I don't know. I just felt like I was kind of moving on to something else. And I was like, 
you know, let's just see. There might be something for me in here that like might be something different. I was, you know, and because uh, there was a lot of like, you know, a lot of bro pop punk at that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm scrolling through the names and I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then I just see beach slang, dirty cigarettes. And I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a big linguophile. So I was like, those just words together are just very aesthetically pleasing. And I remember I clicked on it. Are you familiar with the song at all? Uh, I probably heard it. But it's, yeah. Because they, it was out, so they probably played it. Um, and it's just, it starts with this bend, and then it goes into the song, and the lyrics and the, the opening verse is this raspy, like, echoey voice, and these big, washy guitars, and he's like, I write a lot, it's mostly lies, I fall in love to pass the time. And I was like, ah, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and to me, I think, like, just big, washy, drunk, like, guitar, and, mm -hmm. like, a very atmospheric, like raspy vocal was something that just gets me. And I listened to that EP and that's the second one they put out that year. And they put out, um, who would ever want anything so broken first. And I'm digging those two EPs and I follow them on social media and it's very new. And this is before the curse mm -hmm. of tour, mm -hmm. uh, which was spring 2015. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, um, I just became so enamored with this group and, um, I just was like, I need to know everything about this band and all the lyrics were so poetic and the music was just something that I just so gravitated towards because it was punk rock, but it was something about it just felt so gooey and atmospheric and the lyrics felt so inviting. And I just felt like it was music that just spoke so directly to like my core that this right. was like kind of just like ragtag, like misfit kid music that was like poetic, you know. And you talk about this in your book. You, you I have do. the poem about it, about the show missing, you went to, about missing the show that I went to. Yeah. Um, and then there was, I think it was a piece about anxiety. Yes. Uh, right. It's so, probably my favorite poem in the book, actually. And I, it hits home with me a little bit because I don't ever want to drive anywhere, and it's yeah. not because, it's, it's not because I don't want to, like, get to the show, and I don't want to like see that band because that's one of the bands that I want to see. It's I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to like yeah. leave my house. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to be a part of them. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, I it hit home a little bit for me. And then I smiled because we talked about beach slang before. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was at that show and I was super excited for a cursive because cursive was supposed to play the, um, happy. He's like a semi angry record, organ. Right? I think it's what you told me. What is that? Whatever. I'm butchering the, the name, but it was the 10 year, release or something like that mm -hmm. um and i was super excited because that was my favorite album by them it was a big kind of like what you were talking about big sprawling um orchestral piece uh really able to bring in other pieces of um the the art in there so it had that whole story the whole nine right mm -hmm. so i was i was super excited i thought they were going to play it front to back i was going to be happy i was going to leave and then never talk to anybody again and yeah, yeah. Really, like die yeah <laughs> so that didn't happen uh, <laughs> uh we're my a friend uh and i are at the show and it's it's a hodgepodge of different people here we see them all in like their leather jackets and tight pants mm -hmm. um and it's a mix between like younger and older people which is cool um i thought everybody that listened to, to cursive was 40 um mm -hmm. because they've been around for so long um mm -hmm. So I'm watching this band play and it's beach slang. And I'm like, I remember listening to them and I'm like, I don't hate them. So let's take a look. 
hopefully they're they're good and they make up for the the band that just played because mm-hmm. that one wasn't good okay <laughs> so they don't um <laughs> they stop in the middle of songs because they're too drunk to uh play and then also too drunk to not talk about how great their bass lines are uh-huh. and their drummer is and their guitars are and how poetic their words are <laughs> and they they stop their songs mid mid song to tell everybody about this right and it was one of the most pretentious things i've ever seen yeah interesting and i'm i'm glad that you didn't see that because your love yeah. for that band i think would have been tarnished that would be it's an interesting thought i've had yeah know? yeah <laughs> and I'm also kind of disappointed because I do everything that you talked about, like that raspy voice, the the jangly guitars, um, all that. Like, I remember not hating their music and I will never listen to them ever again. Mm-hmm. And then Cursive destroyed me because they played like seven songs from that record that they were doing a whole tour about and then finished the rest of the record on their encore. Man, which is so disappointing because they didn't even play it all the way through. So it was a a bummer bummer. show. Yeah, Yeah. whole night bummer. Yeah. So when I read that poem again and I I looked at that, not only did it like resonate with the anxiety piece, but it also resonated with the fact that that show sucked. So so, uh, sorry, Beach Lang and Cursive, if you ever listen to this, which I highly doubt that you will. Um, Beach Lang, I love you. And I was listening to uh, a podcast called uh, All Fantasy Everything, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the lines today was, in Portland, they still teach cursive, but it's just that indie rock band, uh, which is funny. hilarious That is me. so good. <laughs> so um, the last little bit, and then we'll get out of here, is I want to talk about your uh, thesis, your yeah. straight edge, and kind of that process. Oh, yeah. Because um, you interviewed a bunch of people for that. Yeah, I did, yeah. And just randomly met Ian Mackay. It was completely random. I mean, it was definitely something I wanted to do, but I thought, like, the, the, the god of straight edge Ian Mackay, I don't know where, you know, on his Discord throne, I did not think that would ever happen. But uh, if I could backtrack... Um, it was like, you know, so I was a history major and you um, can opt to do a senior thesis, which is a year long research project. And uh, over the summer before my senior year, I was like, I really don't know what I'm going to do it on. But I know I want to do one because like I could do two 400 level classes or do a year long research project, which is like, heck, yeah, I want to do that. And I remember coming into my class, my professor and being like, um, I'd probably like maybe do something on like John Wilkes Booth. Or maybe like Vietnam or like, I don't know, straight edge and hardcore in Washington, D.C. in the 1980s. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, what is that last thing? And I was like, oh, it's this thing. He didn't know about straight edge, but he was a big music guy. And he knew about 77 punk. And that was like it. Yeah. And I was okay. like, no, hardcore was like suburban punk. And it was like all over the country. And it was like a uniquely American phenomenon. But it broke out to mainstream in the 90s. And he's like, what the heck? I mean, in straight edge. And I'm like, yeah, that's like. You know, it's like these kids who don't want to do drugs and don't want to um, drink. drink. And uh, it was a movement. He's like, well, that's like a big history thing. Like, why was that a movement at that time? And I was like, he was so jazzed that I went with it. And really, the doors kind of opened. Like, um, Scott Crawford, who was a documentarian in Annapolis, he was releasing a documentary called Salad Days. And I went to the premiere because uh, he was premiering the the video and then also dot dash was playing who um features mm-hmm. members of dag nasty 
and it features uh, the bassist, the the second bassist for uh, Minor Threat, Steve Hansgen, who played on Out of Step. Mm-hmm. And, and that Salad t- Days is uh, an homage to the the Minor Threat. Days. Yes. Yeah, it's all about because that song is a reflection of this '81 to '83 period in DC hardcore, and uh, just you know, just really just ephemeral times that like you have to zone in really quickly to look at. And so I meet Steve there, and I meet Scott, and they're both just so cool. And Scott, you know, at that time, um, my hardcore knowledge was like I knew the bands. I was I was a big Black Flag guy and my B- Bad Brains guy, and my Minor Threat knowledge was actually pretty much like I know Straight Edge. I wasn't super familiar with, like, I knew Fugazi, um, but I didn't really know, like, everything about the band. Well, I mean, I do now, but um, <laughs> meeting Steve, I didn't know he was the original bassist, but he told me, like, oh, I play on Out of Step, and I was like, well, would you be willing to uh, interview about Straight Edge? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. And I, he ends up inviting me to his house, and we had a, probably a two-hour conversation. That's amazing. He's showing me, like, he's got a wall of records. He's showing me, like, tapes of minor threat from like basement jams and he's showing me like german prince and just this rarities of minor threat that i would die happy i mean it's insane and he literally talked me for two hours i mean it was like i i didn't realize that was not the norm for a documentary like that someone would be willing to spend two hours of their time in their own house for you to talk about their band from 40 years ago whatever 30 and um I had this, and then he was like, you know, I'll hit up Henry Rollins for you, and I'll hit up Ian, and I'll I'll do what I can. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. He was just so willing to help me. Well, then I found out about... Th- the great thing about, you know, being near D.C. is, like, all these libraries now have mm-hmm. these uh, collections. So University of Maryland has a zine um, archive, all zines. And then uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Library in D.C. has a punk archive where uh, Mark Anderson and Mark Jenkins, who wrote um, Dance of Days, was like a seminal, basically, the seminal DC alternative music scene book. It's from like 78 to pretty much the 90s. And um, all their primary source research is there. They donated all of it. And all these hardcore punks who are now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who are like, I have all this these flyers, and I'm just going to like get rid of them. Do you want them? They've donated them. So I spent days just pouring through zines and flyers and records and tapes. And I mean, I'm up to my eyeballs in this stuff. I mean, it it was just an endless amount. I probably didn't even put a dent in what's there. And the story is, is no joke, is that um, I'm reading a zine, uh, reading in a minor threat interview with Ian MacKay. He's on the cover and I, I look up. And he's standing in front of me. <laughs> and he goes, what are you looking at? And I was like, shocked. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's li- Ian McKay is right in front of me. I know him. I'm looking right at him on paper. And he's right in front of me. And I'm trying to play it cool because I'm like, in my mind, like the historian is like, you got to play it cool. You got to get that interview. And the other part of me is like, ah, Stwaydens, <laughs> like um, Fugazi, Embrace, The Evens, like all these sick bands. And... I managed to play it cool, and he agrees to do an interview. He's like, you want to come by Discord? Uh, we can do an interview. Oh, and um, I ended up just being able to do a phone interview because things were so crazy. But the Discord interview, the Discord, uh, as far as I know, still stands. I can check yep. it out. And he was just so accommodating, and we talked for a long time, and he filled in the gaps with how it was to write a song at 18 years old about something that you just kind of saw, and then it became a movement, something he never intended for it to happen. And so that's the history part of my research is like how 
is it that these underage kids um, felt that they needed to identify as this, that it had to be a lifestyle, that you had to so outspokenly say, I don't do these things. Like, what was society like at that time? And my research shows that, like, in the 70s, people were, like, drunk. They were alcoholics. <laughs> I mean, it's the me decade. It was like, the world is going to come to an end. Cocaine becomes plentiful in the 80s. Um, you know, the hippies are just kind of burnouts at this time. Um, everything kind of sucks. There's the gas shortage, you know, mm-hmm. um, everything just kind of sucks. Inflation, stagflation, there's no jobs. Um, and you know, um, Watergate has happened at this time. So, and Vietnam is ending. There's just huge distrust in the the country this time. And it's sort of drugs are seeping into middle-class neighborhoods and they're becoming, and, you know, parents are divorcing. There's a huge divorce rate. There's a huge alcoholism rate. And so for these kids in these um, kind of posh areas in D.C., it's not like... I mean, the reality is that drugs and alcohol is an everyday thing. And mm-hmm. you've got these hippie kids who are just buttheads. The jocks who are doing cocaine and the 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 keg stands in suburban neighborhoods. Everyone's just bored. There's nothing to do. And then along comes skateboarding and punk rock and... It just opens, it finally is a vehicle for something for kids to do. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, at that time, it's all arena rock bands or it's kind of laid back like Jimmy Buffett bands. It's nothing that like the kids feel like they can rally around. And then you've got skateboarding and you've got like DIY punk shows. And Ian MacKay's first show is The Cramps in 1980. And he's like, that changed my life forever. Um, and. The research was just, I mean, I got to, you know, interview all these sick people. I'm going through all this research and I was able to present it in Baltimore and uh, hopefully it's being published and I'm hoping to write a book off of it. And it was just the best experience. And then, of course, you know, coming out of all that and I'm not in a punk band, like, (laughs) like, that is blasphemous, like to the highest degree that like, I I, I mean, I will say my, my brother Ridge, who was in a band called Poured Out, we were doing like studio stuff and I have a studio band called um, Double Think and it's like new wave, like post hardcore mm-hmm. stuff. And we were putting out stuff and um, but that it, it's, it wasn't the same, you know, as like playing shows and like getting in people's faces and like, you know, at, you know, my brother is the audio engineer and he, you know, I needed him to write these songs and I needed something that I could do. And Devin is the riff machine, so, like... <laughs> and we hadn't played in a band in years. It just, you know, just yeah. happened to be the way it was. And so I'm coming off this high of uh, a year's... I mean, it was, like, a 115-page paper. I had met Ian MacKay and Steve Hansgen and documentarians and done this research. I gotta start a band. And so Brothers Creeper is all that, like, energy. And then, you know, at this point, I'm, like... I've researched hundreds of bands. I've been listening to hardcore and punk rock every single day for a year. And so... That's all that energy kind of went into that and continuing. The, I'm hoping it turns into a book. I really do. Because the great thing about the research is that straight edge has never been looked at from a historical standpoint. Right. People are like psyched on it. You know, it's mentioned in the books. Like you get a paragraph or maybe a page, but there's not been a historian that's been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, how does this reflect, like, the just say no Reagan drugs era? Like, how does this reflect that suburbia was just saturated with drugs? How does this reflect divorce and alcoholism in the me decade? How does punk rock, which is such a big counterculture that is pretty much the, the baby of alcohol, drugs, yeah. and 
and that kind of culture turn into, oh, we're not about any of that. And then we're also going to play louder, faster, yeah. angrier music than yeah. you've ever even heard. Yeah. So that it's a, a very interesting uh, piece of, of work and a very interesting look at that to see kind of really because hardcore was really a, a rebellion against even punk rock. Absolutely. And, and I then, argue that. Because yeah. then you have the punk rock, like like Black Flag, which was actually, they, they weren't straight edge. They weren't. No. They were whatever you wanted to, right? <laughs> and then you have the hippies and then you have the jocks and then you have the alcoholic dads that, that are still there. So mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting piece and I, I really hope that it grows legs and, and really hope, hope that so it, it gets bigger than what it is and it's an mm-hmm. amazing experience. Like I'm very jealous of you <laughs> all the way through. So... Yeah. Um, There's a great picture of me holding Ian Mackay's hand. I can show it to you. Um, because he's he's got this hand th- gesture he does mm-hmm. where he kind of like puts it out like he's like kind of bestowing you the, the gift. And um, I thought he was going to like go for like he's going to dap me up. And so he has his hand out like this. And so I go like this and I end up just kind of escorting him across the library. Like I'm just kind of grasping his hand like the queen. And... It's the first, it's the most discernible thing. I think Naomi pointed it out first thing. And, you know, I was embarrassed, but who was held in Makai's hand? So, um, you know, so I have that. Yeah. That's great. All right. So where can people find your stuff? We are on Bandcamp, but we just, we just got on Spotify. Uh, we're on Amazon Music, Google Play. Um, I believe it should be on Apple Music anytime, but if you're a Spotify, which you should be, it's on there. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, and look out for us at the uh, DC Black Cat next Wednesday, the 28th, with the Buttertones. Sidebar we, on the 31st in Baltimore. And then we'll be at 5 South, April 6th. And yep. from then on, look for some new records and for some new shows, some new merch, and we uh, will see you out there. Yep. Look us up on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. That's it. <laughs>